following message is presented by Erie Evangelical Free Church in Erie, Illinois. We are a church that exists for the good of our community and are proud to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as we seek to know Him and make Him known. Well, I was wondering, how many of you have ever, you don't have to raise hands, but have ever been completely, utterly alone? I mean alone to the point that there's nobody near you, nobody you know, no, no hope of finding someone you know. Thought that comes to mind is Tom Hanks in Castaway. But I'm talking about being alone and being scared. I can only think of one instance where I've, I've truly kind of felt that way. Judy and I were in Atlanta, Georgia. This is like 96 or 97. We were sent down by our church in Walnut uh, to attend a pastor's conference at the Georgia Dome, which is exactly 1.4 miles from the hotel where we were staying at downtown. So I would ride the, the subway system. It's called the MARTA. It's wonderful. But, and the station was right in the basement of our hotel. So I'd go down, get on that, and go out to the conference in the, uh, during the day, and I'd come home, uh, come back to the room, and we'd have dinner together and so on, and then I'd head back out for the evening. Well, as the evening session ended, there was this rush to get to the MARTA, and I was not quick enough. So by the time I got there, they said, well, it'll be about an hour or so before you get on a train to ride that 1.4 miles downtown to the hotel. Well, from where we were standing, I could see the hotel. So I thought, in my brilliance, I'll just walk. Well, there were also some other guys, and they were saying the same thing. Oh, we'll, we'll take off walking. So I'm in this bunch of guys, and we're walking down toward the hotels. We could see them. We could see downtown. One by one, these guys were dropping off to go to their cars, or maybe their hotel was here. I finally found myself in downtown Atlanta on a street where I should not have been. My first clue was there was nobody else on that street, and it was dark. And the only people I saw were, how shall I say, frightening. They were in lurking in the doorways and in the alleyways. Okay. I'm walking down there. I've got all our credit cards, cash, identification in my pocket. This is before cell phones. So if I was mugged or killed or worse, <laughs> you figure that one out. And there would be no way that anybody would be able to know that she was in a hotel just a little ways. Well, I'm walking along, and I'm, I am literally alone. I mean, there's not another soul on this street, and I'm scared. I don't mind admitting. And I, I prayed, hey, guess what you do when you're in trouble? Hey, God, I'm sorry, I haven't talked to you in a while, but I'm really in trouble right now. And, and I prayed, and I, and I looked, and there on this dark doorway, above the doorway, it said, Peachtree Station. That was the station below our hotel. So I ran to that door. 
I didn't even look over my shoulder. I didn't want to see what might be chasing me. And I ran to that doorway, went downstairs. Right there was the, ho- was the elevator door that took me up to the room. I got, up, got to the room, and, and Judy said, I was white as a sheet when I walked in. Uh, I was alone. I, and the thing is, here, we're not meant to be like that. We're not meant to be alone, are we? God did not create us for loneliness. What was the first thing he said was not good? That man should be alone. Now, I know we, we use that in wedding ceremonies and all that, but I think we've talked about this before. Pastor Jonathan's talked about it before, that, that it's bigger than that. It's bigger than just the marriage relationship. Man is not meant to be alone. We are not meant to be alone. We are created, I love the phrase, I've used it many times, gregarious beings. We're meant to be in community. That's why I think COVID was so damaging. It isolated us. We need to gather. I've said it frequently. We need to gather. And we need to gather frequently. And we need to gather joyfully. We need one another. I'll say it again and again and again and again. We need one another. Do you remember what John said, what Jesus said in John 10, verse 10? He said, For the thief comes to do what? To steal and to kill and to destroy. We're going to see this morning the amazing benefits of coming together as the body of Christ. And it sounds really good, doesn't it? Doesn't it sound, don't you like the sound of that? The benefits of coming together as the body of Christ. Well, there's someone who really does not like that. He's the thief that comes to kill and to steal and to destroy. He wants to wreck us. He wants to destroy us. He wants to destroy you and your faith and your witness and your power in the world. And he wants to destroy this church and our witness and our faith and our power in this community. And he finds all kinds of ways to do it to keep us apart. Now, I know, I know COVID was a, a, a real thing and all that, and I know it was a political football, but I also know that Satan loved it because he kept us apart. And to be honest, during that time, we as leaders had no idea what would happen when we came back. But looky here. And we're missing a whole bunch of people this morning, a bunch that are in Walnut, the missions team. I'm sure Satan's going, he's gritting his teeth. He's gritting his teeth right now because we're together. Because here we are. So this morning, we're going to take a quick look at, at, at a passage that's pretty familiar. I've preached on it a number of times. And if you have Bibles, if you would turn to Hebrews chapter 10, 
Hebrews chapter 10. There's so much more I, I would love to say about the gathering to set this up. You see in your bulletin, the, the message title is When We Gather or when the church gathers, I forget exactly what I did put down. But I, I wrestled with that title. Jonathan knows I hate wrestling with titles. And, oh, when we gather, there it is. Um, duh. But I wrestled with uh, why we gather. And I also wrestled with the pessimist in me, the cynic, if we gather. But when we gather... Let's be positive. When we gather, what happens? Look at starting in verse 19 of chapter 10. And just read through it quickly. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is, his body, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as we see the day approaching. I think in this passage, the writer of Hebrews, whoever you think it may be, gives us three interesting aspects to the gathering of the body. And and the first comes in verses 19 through the first part of verse 22. What, he, what, what we are shown in this about the gathering is, first of all, that we refresh our spirits through worship. We refresh our spirits through worship. We have confidence to enter the most holy place. We use the word worship a lot in the context of, of the gathering of the church, but I'm not sure we really understand what worship is in its fullness, and, and there's no way I can define it for you in a few moments. But, but I kind of like this little one-verse description of worship. It is a lifting of our hearts in adoration. It's a lifting of our voices in praise and our hands in service. The lifting of the heart. This is our expression of love and of surrender that comes from deep within the soul. It's faith. We lift our voices in praise. We're commanded over and over in Scripture to lift our voices in praise. Sometimes it's a sing, singing. Sometimes it's a shout. We lift our hands in service, and we're going to talk about this more, but you've heard me use this this verse so many times, Ephesians 2.10. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared beforehand for us to do. And in this passage, he says that we have freedom to worship freely. 
I know there's redundancy in that, but it's intentional. We have the freedom to worship freely. We have confidence to enter God's presence. Isn't that amazing? You know, that's not the way it was in the Old Testament, was it? But through Jesus, through a new and living way, we have confidence to enter God's presence. You don't need me to get to God. You don't need a priest, an earthly priest, to approach God. You don't need a time or a place to talk to God. And I love this. Have you ever talked to someone or maybe you've gone to see someone, stopped to visit someone, and and you get this feeling that you are imposing on them? That, oh, well, so glad to see you. Not really. God will never do that. God will never do that. We are never imposing. We are being invited in. We have confidence to enter. I love this sentence. We don't have to beg for an audience with our king. He bids us come. We don't have to beg for an audience with our king. He begs us, come. He says, through this new and living way. You remember Jesus had this encounter with a woman in John 4? The woman at the well, that's the way we always call it. And, and the, after all of the preliminaries, and he, he told her a whole lot about her life that she was shocked that he could know. And, and it turns to worship. And she says, I, I can see you're a prophet, but you know what? You Jews say, we got to worship in Jerusalem. And Jesus says, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. And he goes on to say, you're going you're gonna to worship in spirit and in truth. You're going to preach, you're going to have the ability, the, the privilege, the blessing of approaching God whenever and wherever. We have the freedom to worship freely. This freedom to draw near, he says. Since we have all of this stuff, let us draw near to God. Come on! My original message this week was going to be on Psalm 141, and and David's in trouble, and he starts out, um, and he says, come on, God, please come. Please come here and take care of this for me. And I thought as I read that, that's, that's our common prayer. And, and I don't fault David on that, but I thought, how often do we 
kind of ignore God for a long time. We don't go before him. We don't go to his throne. We don't call on him. We ask him to come and take care of us. Here he's saying, come on, let us, let us draw near. Come on. Come on, church. Psalm 100, verse 4. Great verse. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Does that sound familiar to any of you at all? Some of us older folks? We sang it in camp all the time, remember? Remember how it goes? Come on. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. Oh, he's not saying he has made me glad. He has made me glad. I feel like Mitch Miller. Now, some of you have no clue who I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. Let us draw near and do that. So the gathering gives us the opportunity. When we come together like this as a church, we have the opportunity, the blessing, the privilege to refresh our spirits through worship. But there's more. There is more. We calibrate our spirit through the word. We calibrate or recalibrate our spirit through the word. Verse 22, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. You ever go off the rails a bit with your faith? You ever stumble just a little bit? You ever kind of drift to the right or the left of, of, of the center of the plumb line of God's word? Well, okay, I do. I do. And believe me, I can't begin to tell you how much it means to be here on Sunday morning with the gathering. I cannot begin to tell you how much I need you. Y'all know I've been missing some here and there, kind of filling in at some other churches, kind of a ministry we decided that it was good for us to do, but man, no matter how good the other churches are, it's not here. It's not you. We recalibrate our spirits through the word. R.C. Sproul writes, Our worship must be informed at every point by the word of God as we seek God's own instructions for worship that is pleasing to him. We calibrate our spirits 
To calibrate means to return something to alignment with a standard of some sort. It means to reset something to a proper balance or posture. It means to restore or correct one's thinking, values, or plans to a certain standard. We have instruments that help recalibrate. I have one right here, a little guitar tuner. It tells me when my guitar's out of tune. And I can recalibrate my string. Unfortunately, it doesn't tell me when my voice is out of tune. Um, we have a plumb line. We were doing this little project at home, and I needed to find kind of the center of the room, and I could kind of see it above. So I, I took a nail, I drove a nail in, I took my chalk line, it's got a heavy end, and I hooked it there and let, let gravity take it till it stopped moving. And I knew that was where the center was. It's a plumb line. Carpenters used to use them all the time. In Amos chapter 7, Jesus says, I've dropped a plumb line in the midst of Israel. God, his word, Jesus Christ, the son of God, our plumb line. We have the word of God in front of us right here, our plumb line. It tells us where our true north is. We recalibrate our spirits through the word. The gathering of God's people helps to protect us and, and ourselves from the enemy's temptations as we, as we bury ourselves in his word, as we immerse ourselves in it. We refresh our spirits through worship. We recalibrate our spirits through the word of God. And finally, we rekindle our passion through fellowship. We rekindle our passion through fellowship. Verse 24 and 25, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Hmm. One of the things that I have loved most about ministry over the years um, and there are many things, but one that I really, really, really enjoyed was when, okay, I'm going to say this, I'm going to offend some people probably, but back when baccalaureate, how many of you remember baccalaureate? Back when baccalaureate really mattered? Back when I remember, I remember the baccalaureates, and both in Walnut and I, I don't know about Erie, but in Walnut and Brewer Valley, baccalaureate was not mandatory. Couldn't make it mandatory. But it was pretty well understood in both schools. You need to be there. And, and you'd have this crowd of parents and, and students there, and you'd have all, all the students up on the stage, and, and it was a time of singing 
Christian songs. The choir would sing some gospel tune. And one of us pastors would get up and, and preach a message from the scriptures. It mattered. The last ones I did were in 1999 and 2000 back at Bureau Valley High School. Go Storm. But um, I got to be careful. I still have a hard, you know, I, I love Erie, but man, okay, never mind. Um, <laughs> and 99 and 2000 were the years that our two youngest sons graduated from Bureau Valley High School. Jonathan in 99 and Timothy in 2000. And I, I, I say this not because of them, but it was two remarkable classes. It was two, every school goes through these stages, don't they? Where you just seem to have certain classes that get packed with, with kind of the remarkable, remarkable kids. And, and that happened. And, and I remember in both of those baccalaureates standing there, because I, I spoke at both of them, and, and I remember standing there to speak and looking down the lines at the students on the stage and thinking, wow, there's going to be some amazing things come out of these kids. And guess what? There have been some amazing things come out of these kids. I cannot begin to tell you how many of them became pastors, church leaders, ministry leaders. How many became uh, leaders in their communities, successful businessmen and women. I know one is a, a school principal, one's a judge, right? Uh, what level is he anyway? He's, he's moving up the ranks. Um, and we knew he was way smarter than the rest of us. But anyway, uh, he's, he's a judge. And Friday, I got a chance to speak to another one because he's my doctor. <laughs> my doctor graduated with my sons. It's crazy. But he graduated from... Bureau Valley High School, lived in Sheffield, wanted to go back and be a small-town doctor, which he did. And he and his wife have set up a wellness center and all this other stuff in the community. They, they built senior housing. And now they're in the process of buying the grocery store because it was going to close, and they're going to turn it into a nonprofit grocery store. Can you imagine? And hopefully be a model for small communities that are going to lose their grocery stores. And I asked him, I said, what do you think? Why do you think you've got all these guys, that, young men and women who became pastors and church leaders and community leaders and so on? He said, well, the bar was set pretty high. When you're surrounded by people who are destined to do great things, you strive to do great things. And that's what the church is supposed to be doing. We are, to, Hebrew says, spur one another on to love and good deeds. I've said this before, but I, the imagery of that is amazing. Spur one another on? Have you ever been spurred? I don't, I mean, literally speaking, I don't want to be spurred. I've seen spurs and they look like they would hurt. 
But we need that. We need to be kicked in the, well, we need to be kicked and moved on. We need to be spurred toward love and good deeds. God has called us to that, created us in good, we are created in God's image to do love and, and good deeds. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared beforehand for us to do. It's out there. It's all there. It's, and, and you have the power and you have the abilities. You have greatness within you. God stoops down, Psalm 18 says, to make us great. And listen, the enemy will come to steal and to kill and destroy those dreams and those passions and everything, every great thing that you might see that you could do, even if it's just reaching out to a, a, a neighbor's child. Greatness doesn't mean you have to be the president of the United States, although I, I wish one of you would. Uh, but... I did it again. <laughs> Greatness comes in some small packages. We are called to greatness. We rekindle our passion through fellowship. I love the fact that we can come together and we can joke around one to another here. We can get out there after church and have fun and chat, chit-chat, and I don't have any problem with chit-chat. I like it. It's fun. It's refreshing. But now and then, we've got to get beyond that. Now and then, we've got to look one another in the eye and say, how are you doing with your faith? How are you doing Is your marriage okay? Your job going okay? How's your faith? Do we ask each other those questions? I'll be honest. That scares me to death. Somebody asking me, some of the really hard questions because then I got to say, I either got to tell the truth or I got to lie about it. We rekindle our passion through fellowship, but to do that, we have to get real. I've tried for 17 years to be real to you. But even after 17 years, y'all don't know me that well. We rekindle our passion. If we're going to do great things for God... We gotta be real and we've gotta be faithful and we've gotta be ready to move when God says move. 
The thief will come to kill and to steal, to try to take your dreams and your passions and that greatness within you and stifle it and give you every excuse in the world not to do it. That thought may come into your mind. You know what? We need a ministry to do this. Hey, I need to step into the church and help out here doing this. And the enemy will say, oh, you're not bright enough. You're not, you're not smart enough. You're not good enough. You're not skilled enough. And he'll give you every excuse in the world not to. Don't listen. Don't listen. We gather here, and we need to gather here. And let me wrap this up very quickly. But when we gather to, we we gather to refresh our spirits through worship, to recalibrate our spirits through the word, and rekindle our passions through fellowship. Are you ready to do that? Are we ready to do that? I pray that we are. Father, we need desperately to be refreshed, to be recalibrated, to have our passions rekindled. God, to come back to where you, you call us to be. To be a worshiping people who worship in spirit and in, in truth, who worship in what we say, that we, we raise our, our adoration We lift our hands in, in service. And when we gather, God, we let those things be. God, that when we come into this room, everything else is stripped away. We leave the world outside the doors and we come simply to give praise and worship. Our adoration to you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about Erie Evangelical Free Church or our ministries, please visit www.eriefree.com or join us in person at 1409 16th Avenue, Erie, Illinois.